0: Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. I just wanted to take a moment and tell you about my friends over at Purality Health and their new rapid-absorbing glutathione spray. Glutathione is your master antioxidant. It helps you kick out toxins and boost your metabolism fast. In fact, when supplementing with high-quality glutathione, you will purge unhealthy toxins, you'll lose weight with less effort, you'll feel more energetic, you'll notice a brighter complexion, and you'll feel much healthier overall. But here's the thing, not all glutathione supplements are created equal. If you're taking glutathione in capsule or tablet form, you're missing out on key nutrients as they will simply pass through your body without being absorbed. You can thank your stomach acid for that. However, my friends over at Purality Health have a new rapid absorbing, delicious glutathione spray that delivers this powerful antioxidant straight to the areas of your body that need it most. Just pump a few sprays onto your tongue and watch as toxins naturally purge from your body. The best part, you can experience these results in as little as seven days. For a limited time, they are offering a special buy one, get one free deal, which is backed by a 180 day money back guarantee. So you have no risk. You can try it out. All you need to do is visit masterantioxidant.com forward slash DRJ. Again, that's masterantioxidant.com forward slash DRJ. And that will give you access to this exclusive deal. Welcome back to the podcast. On this episode, I am being interviewed by my friend Dr. Eric Osanski. He has a great podcast called Save My Thyroid and his website is naturalendocrinesolutions.com. He's also got a great book all about healing hyperthyroidism, Graves' disease that you guys can check out as well. Phenomenal book. Uh, Again, the title of that one is Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves' Disease. You can find that on Amazon or in the show notes. And in this interview, he 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 asks me a lot about my personal story and the, and the health challenges that I experienced earlier in my life and how I overcame them. And we talk a lot about advanced fasting strategies and really go through a lot of frequently asked questions that people have when it comes to intermittent, partial fasting, extended fasting, and how to use it to really reset the gut microbiome, reduce inflammation in the body, and overcome chronic disease. So you guys are in for a treat here. And if you've not left us a five-star review, now's the time to do that. What are you waiting for? Leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes wherever you listen to this podcast. I wanted to read this great one here. From Lori, she says, I love to listen to Dr. Jockers. I'm guaranteed to learn something to improve my health when I listen to him. You can sense his passion and his willingness to share what he knows to benefit others. And he is my go-to resource when I have something specific I need info on. So thank you, Lori, for leaving that great review. And guys, if you leave a comment under your five-star review on Apple iTunes, I'll be happy to read that on one of the future podcasts. So thanks so much for that. Thank you guys for being a part of our community here. And let's go into the show.
1: So, I am super excited to chat with Dr. David Jockers as we are going to be talking about fasting. And so, let me go ahead and dive into Dr. Dr. Jockers' impressive bio here. So, Dr. David Jockers is a doctor of natural medicine and specializes in functional nutrition and natural health strategies. He is the founder of drjockers.com, a website designed to empower people with science based solutions to improve their health. DrJockers.com has gotten over 1 million monthly page views and is considered one of the most well-researched and easy-to-read health websites in the world. Dr. Jockers' work has been published in various popular media outlets, including ABC, Fox News, the Hallmark Channel, Home and Family, and the Dr. Oz Show. Dr. Jockers also hosts a popular Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Jockers.
0: Absolutely, Dr. Eric. Great to connect with you here.
1: Yeah. Same here. And yeah, definitely for those who have not checked out his website, it is amazing. I mean, I don't know how you put so much great content. How many articles do you have? Hundreds or probably thousands at this point?
0: Yeah. I mean, probably 1500, something like that. Wow. Somewhere in that range. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if you're looking really, I mean, I would say almost any topic related to health, you probably could find it on his website. So yeah, definitely check out again, drjockers.com. And so yeah before we dive into fasting can you give a brief intro background how you how you're doing what you're doing now and got into the the fasting world
0: Yeah growing up my my mom actually was studying to become a naturopath and I was an athlete growing up and That's how she influenced me to eat healthy. So my older brother had acne. I didn't want acne. She said, well, he's eating too much sugar. He's eating too much processed chocolate bars and candy. And so I started avoiding that. I wanted to perform better in baseball. I was a baseball player. So my mom said, well, you've you've got to eat kale and you've got to eat, you know, your protein and you've got to get, you know, these kind of nutrients in your system. And so for me, whatever, whatever would help me perform better, that's what I was going to eat. And so I didn't like kale, but I was swallowing down kale, you know? So, um, so she helped really inspire me from that perspective. And then when I got out of school, I, I got really into fitness and when I got out of high school, I should say, I got into fitness and, uh, I, uh, was, was a personal trainer and I would eat, you know, six, seven, eight meals a day. I was always thinner. So I wanted to bulk up. So I would eat all these meals, and I was eating healthier than most people out there that I knew. I was the healthiest per eater that I knew, but I was eating lots of processed foods, lots of processed protein bars and protein shakes and all kinds of stuff like that. And I was eating from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, and I ended up developing irritable bowel. You know, I just overwhelmed my digestive system, and I, I would have cramping and bloating, and, you know, I just went through a, a period of time where I ended up losing about 35 pounds um, because I just couldn't absorb nutrients. I was still eating a lot. I was still trying to exercise. Of course, you know, I'm 21 years old. So I think, well, I just got to work out more. I got to eat more. And I uh, just finally kind of hit the fan. And um, I realized, wow, I really need to make changes. And so I started reading some different books and I actually had a, a, a local guy at, at my gym that was a chiropractor. And he said, you know, you should really think about becoming a chiropractor. And uh, you know, he he was into nutrition, and so he said, you know, you need to you need to you need to take out grains. You should you should really consider coming off grains. And this was back in 2003; nobody was talking about that. Uh, but he turned me on to drmercola.com, and I started reading that website. And he talked about a no grain diet. And so I came off grains. I started really cha- doing a lot of changes with my diet, really focusing on. I was I was more of a I guess you could say I was like plant-based eater. And so I started going with grass-fed meats and really prioritizing healthy animal products and healthy fats. And it definitely changed my health big time. And I got my energy, my life back, went to chiropractic school and you know, and, and I had this vision of of creating a a natural health center and really impacting community wellness. And that's what I did when I graduated from chiropractic college. I opened a clinic right out of school and th- that clinic became successful, but I just realized I was working way too much, had no balance. Um, actually, I ended up, ended up developing skin cancer. Actually, I was living in my clinic for for the first two years while I opened it up because uh, I, I couldn't get a business loan. It was right after the economy had crashed in 2008. And so I was just working 80 hours a week, stressed out, and uh, eventually bought bought a house close to my clinic and started really creating a lot more mental, emotional balance. And uh, developed skin cancer, which is actually the kind of cancer that killed my grandfather. he He died from metastatic melanoma. And I grew up in Florida on the beach. been sunburnt a lot more than somebody should be. And so I had those risk factors. And um, I was sleeping under the power panel in my in my kind of storage area of my clinic. I was showering across the street in a 24-hour gym without, you know, water filtration. I had a X-ray processor in the bath, my main bathroom that I was using that was a chemical-based processor. So I was breathing in toxic chemicals all the time. And so I just overloaded my, my toxic bucket. And for me, that's how it expressed either digestive issues or you know, in my life, it's been digestive issues, or it's been skin cancer, but I've also been able to heal those. And I actually started practicing intermittent fasting and extended fasting in my journey of healing. And uh, when I first started practicing it, I had never I never heard the term. And so back when I started when I made my diet changes in my early 20s, I just realized because my blood sugar was a lot more stable, I wasn't hungry in the morning. And I, always, I was always busy. I had either clients early or I had school early. And so I just started drinking a lot of water early in the morning, early in the day. And then um, I would not be hungry. And I, I wouldn't get hungry until sometimes two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would start eating. And I would eat in kind of a shortened, condensed window from, let's say, three o'clock to eight o'clock. And I would eat a good amount of food during that period of time. And then I would wake up the next day and Kind of fast or just just hydrate throughout the day up until you know afternoon again and i realized i felt significantly better and that was a cornerstone part of my healing process and that, again that was back in 2003 2004 i mean, never heard of the term intermittent fasting and then when i developed skin cancer I actually went on a, a, a what i knew was a, a you know, more of an intensive fast so i went on a five-day fast In that process uh as part of my healing and so that was much more intentional but that was right around the time when i had started hearing the term intermittent fasting and um it's something that i've really looked at and studied in detail and obviously practiced myself
1: yeah that's some story so it sounds like you've been fasting for about 20 years now and you mentioned you learned about going grain free when you uh discovered dr mercola's website just out of curiosity, are you still grain free, or is it every now and then you have grain?
0: Yeah, I'm not 100% grain free now, but you know I've spent years being grain free. Obviously, I don't eat many grains, but you know with kids and everything, we'll have some Ezekiel bread from time to time. Fortunately, all of us are very healthy, and in in general, we're gluten free. And it's funny, my kids will be like, "Oh, we're having gluten," and I tell them, "Well, this is the better this is the better gluten," right? But occasionally, you know, we'll have some Ezekiel bread or something along those lines. But yeah, it's, it's rare. I don't eat much grains. I'm on a lower, I would say lower carbohydrate diet. I get most of my carbs from fruit. I do eat a lot of fruit, sometimes some root vegetables, but basically a a very clean
1: template as a whole. All right. Can you talk about some of the definitions? Like what's the difference between just fasting in general compared to intermittent fasting for those who are unfamiliar with the terms?
0: Yeah. It's kind of like this blanket term of fasting, intermittent fasting. I mean, All of us do some level of fasting and really fasting is just going without. And so um, you can fast from, from entertainment, right? You can, there's a lot of things you can fast from, not just food, but of course, you know, for, for the purposes of this conversation and natural health, we talk about it from a, for fasting from food. So basically the way that I look at it is within, it's within a 24 hour period of time. We call it time restricted feeding or TRF. And then sometimes the, the term intermittent fasting will come in as well as kind of like synonymous with time-restricted feeding. After 24 hours, or really honestly like after two days, there's, there's a whole nother thing that takes place inside of our body. So within, if we're fasting inside of like a 48-hour window, our digestive juices, we're still producing stomach acid, bile, pancreatic enzymes to prepare for the next meal after about 48 hours, we stop producing those. And so we have. you know, if you're doing a three or four or five day fast, it's wise to reignite the digestive juices. So you can digest your meal effectively when you do break your fast, because your body is conserving energy. And it's saying, well, I don't need to eat right now. I'm not eating. So I need to put all the energy I can, the energy that I would normally put into producing these digestive juices, which is very energy demanding. It takes a lot of energy for us to produce stomach acid, to produce bile, to produce pancreatic enzymes. And so instead of that, we're diverting that energy into healing and repairing. And so as we start to introduce food, we want things that are going to help to reignite the digestive juices. So a lot of times I'll, I'll tell people to You know, really make your food very aromatic. So you're smelling it. Use a lot of herbs, basil, oregano, thyme, rosemary, things like that, bone broth, right? Something maybe liquid based that you don't need much digestive juices, but tells the body, okay, food's starting to come in, calories are starting to come in. Whereas with a shorter fast within 48 hours, for example, like I do a 24 hour fast every week. And I don't do any of that stuff. I mean, it's a good idea to maybe take a little apple cider vinegar before a meal or drink some broth before a meal. That's always a good idea. I think that's good all across the board. However, you can I can break my fast. I can do a lunch-to-lunch fast, eat lunch on Wednesday, fast-to-lunch on Thursday, and not need to worry about, oh, am I going to be able to produce enough stomach acid or digestive enzymes? And so I can eat a normal meal and feel fine, feel great afterwards. As opposed to, again, if I do a three-day, four-day fast, let's say, can overwhelm your system. And so you kind of want to, you want to have that knowledge beforehand. So you start to gradually reignite and reawaken your digestive system, not just break it with this huge meal.
1: And when you say like a three or four-day fast, so you're essentially talking about a water fast, like all they're doing during the three, four days is drinking water?
0: Yeah, typically water, maybe herbal tea, maybe black coffee, something along those lines, basically no calories. Uh, And I I always recommend no sweeteners or or at least minimal sweeteners. And I think the benefit there is that you get a, a dopamine reset as well. And so for many of us, we are even in natural health, we're using stevia, monk fruit, things like that. And we're sweetening up, we're having a dessert or we're sweetening up liquids or we're eating fruit and things like that. And all of that triggers dopamine. And so if we go several days without any sweet flavors okay that helps us reset the dopamine pathways in our brain we're more sensitive to the natural flavors of food um, when we reintroduce food
1: all right that sounds good so make sure don't you could have like you said herbal tea or green tea but you don't want to add even stevia or monk fruit let alone like something like ideally yeah
0: ideally for the best benefit
1: yeah and so you said you said you do a 24-hour fast once per week Mm-hmm. And then, pretty much on a daily basis, then are you doing like sixteen hour, inter, sixteen hours intermittent fasting?
0: Yeah. So for me, on a daily basis, sixteen to eighteen, sometimes maybe a little bit longer, but I'm usually eating my meals. I would say between one p.m. and seven p.m. on a, on a daily basis. And I typically work out right before I uh, I break my fast. So usually I'm working out at like 12, 30, 1 o'clock, and then I might finish that workout at one thirty and break my fast around one 45, 2 o'clock, somewhere in that range. And then, you know, I have a really good meal. Sometimes I'll have a snack in between, a high-protein snack, and then I'll have a great dinner with my family, roughly 6 o'clock at night. I
1: think it's safe to say when many people start fasting, you know, like let's say intermittent fasting, a lot of people are doing it to, to lose weight. So that's certainly one benefit. Are there other benefits of intermittent fasting besides losing weight?
0: Yeah, I would say that's the most common benefit, but there are incredible longevity benefits to it. And I've personally never tried to lose weight at any point in my life. And yet fasting has become a cornerstone part of my lifestyle. So like with me, when I had irritable bowel, fasting helped me heal my gut lining. And you think about it, the gut lining is only one cell wall. And so all the mechanical stress of food coming through there is putting stress on that one cell wall. And that cell wall needs to be very, very strong, very resilient. And so when we're constantly eating, we're constantly putting that mechanical stress. And I I compare that to to if you have a sprained ankle. And so you've got a sprained ankle and and then you just continue to walk and run on it. Obviously, it's not gonna heal properly. And so you need time to rest. Now, fortunately, the gut lining heals a lot quicker than all the cartilage and the avascular tissue uh, in our ankle or in our joints. And so we don't need quite as much time to heal our gut lining as we do to heal the the joints. And so sometimes just taking even 24 hours, we actually get a rise in stem cell, uh, intestinal stem cell production, even just doing a 24 hour fast. And so even a 16 or 18 hour fast, a lot of people will notice big improvements in their overall digestion just by doing this kind of 16 to 18 hour fast on a daily basis. And one of the benefits or one of the reasons for that is the healing, actual time away from mechanical stress going through there, allowing that intestinal lining to heal. Now, another great benefit is it actually helps to improve the diversity of the microbiome. Now, most people, most microbiome researchers out there, they'll say the, the more diverse your microbiome, the healthier you are. And that's what the, the research has shown. That means the more the, the greater number of species, of different types of species of bacteria in our intestinal system, the healthier we are. And the idea of, okay, how do I create uh, diversity in my microbiome? They would say, and this is one way, is to eat a diverse array of different vegetables. These plant-based foods have various fibers in them. And each, in a sense, type of fiber or type of prebiotic nutrient that's in these different plants helps to feed and favor the ben- the growth of certain types of beneficial bacteria in our gut. And so if you're only eating the same 10 foods, you're not going to have as diverse a gut microbiome as if you were to eat you know 30 different types of foods. And so that sort of thinking really predominates in uh, microbiome research. And there's a lot of truth to that. However, fasting is the opposite and it's been shown to actually improve diversity. So fasting you're not eating anything. So you would think well everything's just going to die, but what we found is that in the gut there are different layers of bacteria. And so you have your primary feeders and you have your secondary feeders. Primary feeders live right right above the mucosa. So you have right above the intestinal lining, you have this thick coat of mucus and that mucus is where the Immune component of the intestines are the secretory IgA and that mucosa protects that single cell gut lining wall, right? So it's super critical that we have a healthy mucosa there. Inside the mucosa there's bacteria that live in there. We call those the secondary feeders. Those bacteria not only do they like to eat polyphenols and fibers and stuff like that, but they also can survive on the mucosa itself. So they can actually eat the mucus itself in, in in as a fuel source to stay alive, and so one of those secondary feeders is called Akkermansia mucinophilia. Mucinophilia means mucus loving, and so this bacteria has been highlighted by microbiome researchers as what what they call a keystone bacteria, meaning it's the levels of Akkermansia mucinophilia in your gut are going to be related to your risk of developing chronic inflammatory conditions. And so if acromanzia goes down, your risk of developing chronic inflammatory conditions goes up. And if acromanzia goes up, your risk goes down. And so how do we preferentially, how do we favor the development of acromanzia in our gut? Well, it turns out that intermittent fasting is one of the best ways because when we're constantly eating, we're overfeeding the primary feeders that sit on top. So they're eating a lot, and they're growing, and their populations are thriving. And when their populations are thriving, they're they not allowing nutrients to get down deep into the mucosa, and they're not allowing for the proper ecosystem for acromanzia to, to really be able to populate and thrive. And so when we, when we actually take longer periods of time between meals, now the primary feeders die down. And so they're still, they're still there, but not at higher than normal uh, proportions. And now when we do consume food, that food's going to get into the mucosa where acromansia can now feed and it'll eat the polyphenols and then it will have healthy balanced levels. So to kind of make this sound more, more, to make it more make more sense, you know, in my, my front yard, I have an apple tree and a blueberry bush and the apple tree grows and it grows quickly. And it, and it grows to the point where it blocks sunlight from getting to the blueberry bush. And so every year, we have to pay somebody to come out and trim the hedges on the apple tree so we get blueberries. Otherwise, we don't get any blueberries. And so the apple tree, we love the apple tree. It's, it, we love the apples. It's beneficial for us. But if we don't actually trim it back then it blocks the key nutrients in the proper ecosystem for the blueberry bush to develop properly. And that's kind of the same thing that intermittent fasting is doing in our gut, is it's creating the right ecosystem for the proper diversity of the microbiome. And the more diverse and beneficial our microbiome is, the better our immune system is going to function, the better we're going to... um, Break down and absorb nutrients from the food that we're consuming, and the better we're gonna we're going to release to- and get rid of toxins. We say that good bacteria helps to eat toxins and produces B vitamins uh, and all different types of key nutrients, postbiotic nutrients that reduce inflammation in our system. Whereas bad microbial balance, the bad microbes will actually eat nutrients and then they'll poop out toxins that inflame us and cause unwanted problems. And so the more that we can create that healthy, balanced, diverse microbiome, the better intermittent fasting is one of the core strategies to help optimize
1: the diversity of the microbiome. So here's a question. I don't know if you do stool testing at all Mm -hmm. in your practice, but if someone, let's say, does a comprehensive stool test or even a gut microbiome Mm -hmm. test, and they have a lot of low bacteria and perhaps even low acromantia, because now some stool panels will test for that, is it a fair strategy to incorporate intermittent fasting based on what you said to try to increase those numbers? I mean, maybe that's not the only strategy. Maybe you do want to make sure you're getting enough fiber and prebiotics, but I mean, quite frankly, I never really thought about incorporating intermittent fasting to improve the gut microbiome, but it sounds like at least, yeah.
0: Yeah. Some level of intermittent fasting really should be in everybody's plan, I, I can call it a fasting lifestyle. It's just really part of a healthy lifestyle. It's kind of like exercise. You know, there are certain seasons where maybe somebody, for example, I just had a, a flu last week, right? And so I work out six days a week in 10, so I'm in great shape. But when I had the flu, I couldn't work out, right? I was, uh, you know, I needed rest. And so there are seasons where you may not fast quite as much as other seasons, depending on what your overall stress load is and things like that. But I think f- some level of time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting um, should be a cornerstone player in every single person's le- uh, healthy lifestyle approach. Same thing as exercise, right? It just should, be a par- should be a part of what you're doing on a regular basis. But yeah, um, you know, you're obviously going to want to make sure that you're getting the right amount of fiber for your body type. And, uh, Dr. Eric, I don't know if if this has been your experience, but my experience is some people need, some people really thrive on very high fiber, high phytonutrient diets. And then other people, lower levels of fiber, lower levels of FODMAPs and and different types of plant fibers in their diet. And you kind of have to find where you're at in that spectrum. And so you're looking for where, you you know, in a sense, your, your fiber threshold, right? And obviously trying to get it from real whole foods. And find where the level of fiber that you really thrive on. And that may be a lot different than your spouse. Your spouse may need, you know, they may thrive on 20 grams of fiber more than you. And for you, you get massively, you get your gut inflamed and bloated when you're consuming that much fiber. So, you know, eating the right types of foods, obviously, and then also incorporating intermittent fasting and then stress reduction, good sleep, right, all the different things that we talk about should be should be at the foundation of your your lifestyle. I want to tell you guys about an entire line of teas formulated specifically to enhance the benefits of fasting. It's peak tea and it's the highest quality tea that's out there. It's extracted via cold brew crystallization that gently preserves active compounds at their maximum potential with no prep or brewing needed. It's 100% organic and triple toxin screened for pesticides, heavy metals, and toxic mold, which is really common in tea, and it's screened for the highest possible purity. Peak tea is designed to shut down your appetite, reduce cravings, enhance the benefits of fasting, and support healthy weight management these teas are delicious and they won't break your fast they've got bergamot fasting tea which is loaded with theoflavins to nourish gut bacteria support digestion and boost satiety and beat hunger pangs it's also got the bergamot that's in there which offers a flavorful burst of citrus and its oils enhance digestion and provide unique mood boosting properties They've got ginger green fasting tea, which supports digestion. And the concentrated green tea catechins provide satiety and the green tea delivers calm focused energy. They also have cinnamon herbal fasting tea, which cinnamon we know supports balanced blood sugar and helps manage cravings. And it's naturally caffeine free. Peak is extending a limited time offer just for my audience. For a limited time, get up to 20% off plus two free gifts with my link just head over to peaklife.com forward slash jockers. That's dot ecom forward slash J-O-C-K-E-R-S now. And that will get you 20% off plus two free gifts. And there's a reason Peak has over 15,000 five-star reviews. Try it for yourself risk-free with their 30-day satisfaction guarantee. And you either love it or you get your money back. So again, go to peaklife.com forward slash chockers to get up to 20% off your fasting teas plus two free gifts. Are restless nights stealing your sleep? Well, if so, I have a podcast recommendation for you. It's called Sleep Magic. On the Sleep Magic podcast, episodes are delivered in relaxing soft tones, getting slower as the episode goes on with relaxing suggestions that encourage sleep sleep magic has over 100 free episodes so there are plenty of options to choose from and the show is already trusted by hundreds of thousands of people who use it every night to get better sleep so go subscribe to sleep magic now wherever you listen to podcasts and start listening for free today just search sleep magic on your favorite podcast app
1: All right. Wonderful. And yeah, I definitely agree with you that everybody's different when it comes to fiber consumption, the amount they they need. And so who is, is, or maybe who isn't a candidate for intermittent fasting? Is there anybody who should not fast?
0: Yeah. So when it comes to like, basically just like an overnight fast, Pretty much everybody can do that, roughly a 10 to 12 hour overnight fast, I think, at the baseline is really for everybody. Now, there may be, you know, a short period of time where a pregnant woman, she might need to consume something overnight. Um, I know for my wife, she was able to fast 10, 12 hours overnight without any issues with it with all of our kids. And they were all super healthy. But as we start to push that fast to let's say 14, 16, 18 hours. You know, pregnancy is not the time because pregnancy, you're really growing and developing for young children. My kids have no, no issue that, I mean, they typically fast 14 hours overnight, um, and they have no issue as long as, of course, they're, they're consuming plenty of calories during their eating window. But for most kids, you know, it's not like we're trying to really, you know, compress their eating window or do something intentional there. High level athletes, if you know, if you're training two, three, four hours a day, that's not a, not a season to, to be you know, trying to tighten your eating window. So those would be certain individuals, type one diabetics, until they get really good at, at understanding where their blood sugar is, because there are type one diabetics that do regular intermittent fasting and feel great. Um, but, you know, it's not something you, they'd want to just jump right into. Um, they need to be really good at understanding where their blood sugar is and how their body's responding to, you know, various foods that they're that they're consuming. And then, of course, people that are very underweight and they need to obviously uh, also, at the same time, understand the amount of calories that they're going to need and the amount of foods that they're going to need. And that's really one of the biggest mistakes people make is they feel good when they're fasting. And so when they get back to eating, they don't eat enough. Um, they're used to eating maybe smaller meals. They're not consuming enough ca- overall calories, enough overall protein. And so I think that's, that's the key. That's one of the key caveats is when you're eating you eat really well, right? You want to make sure you're eating till you're fully satiated um, and not trying to under eat. You know, a lot of times people are in this kind of diet culture where they're like, well, I'm only going to eat 200 calories a meal or something like that. And so they go from six meals to three meals. And then they're still just consuming 200, 250 calories in a meal. And, um, you know, they're not getting their overall amount of calories that they need. And when, when you're in a, a period like that, where you've got too low calories for a too long a period of time that will affect your metabolic rate you know talk about thyroid it can affect thyroid hormone uh, production and conversion and sex hormone production as well and cause a lot of unwanted symptoms so you got to make sure that when you eat you're eating really really well eating good foods and eating plenty of them and then when you're not eating you're not eating
1: and then also getting enough protein is important i would imagine as well absolutely yeah
0: 100%. So I recommend 30 to 50 grams of protein per meal. So now you're only eating 2 to 3 meals a day, but you're consuming 30 to 50 grams of protein per meal. 30 at the minimum. Roughly about 10% of of most proteins is uh, branch chain amino acids, leucine, isoleucine and valine. And those branch chain amino acids stimulate muscle protein synthesis, so the the pr- basically development of muscle tissue, and you need roughly around three grams or so, depending on your size, two to three grams of leucine per meal is the what we call leucine threshold that stimulates muscle protein synthesis. Leucine is the most abundant branch chain amino acid and the most important for muscle protein synthesis. And so a smaller individual may be fine with 20, 25 grams of protein in a meal if you're, let's say, you know, under 110 pounds or so. But for most adults, you know, to just be on the safe side, I recommend 30 to 50 grams of protein per meal. And protein is very satiating. Um, and so that's going to make you feel much more satiated and keep your blood sugar stable and balanced so you can go longer periods of time and feel great between meals. Now to get thirty to fifty grams, you have to kind of readjust. You may have been used to consuming, let's say, ten grams of protein. Um, you're going to have to readjust and really understand how much that really, what that really looks like as you're setting up your meals. But if you do that, if you do thirty to fifty grams of protein in a meal, you're going to feel great, and it's fasting is going to be a lot easier. I recommend also obviously adding in some fats. And if you're eating real foods, most protein foods come with some fats. If they don't, like let's say a chicken breast. Add some olive oil or a little bit of avocado or something like that. So you're getting some healthy fats with it. But I recommend somewhere between 15 to let's say 30 grams of healthy fats. And these are our general ranges. Basically, some people can do, I can do much larger amounts of health of fats and proteins in a meal and feel great. Whereas other people, when they eat a lot of fat in a meal, they feel awful. Um, and so, you know, if you don't have a gallbladder, for example, or if you have really clogged bile ducts in your liver gallbladder system, your biliary ducts, if they're real clogged and not releasing bile effectively, then you may feel bad. You may feel more nauseous, uh, have more gut issues, just feel really, really bad, feel really itchy when you consume higher amounts of fat. And this is where a lot of people go wrong when they go on a ketogenic diet because they're they're told just keep lay- layering on the fat, add more butter to that. Eat a whole avocado with that meal, and for some individuals, they feel great when they do that, and others don't, and that's because they're not metabolizing breaking down that fat effectively. So find out kind of where what you feel best with as far as the amount of fat you're going to consume in that meal, and and then you know stick in that range. Right, for most people, it's going to be somewhere between fifteen to thirty grams of healthy fats coming from extra virgin olive oil or avocado or grass fed meats or pasture raised eggs grass-fed butter, something along those lines, and um, combine that with the protein. And then you can round out your meal with vegetables, different types of colors. I like to get a lot of colorful foods in my meal, so fruits, vegetables, things like that. But if you get your protein and your fats down right, then that's gonna give you the natural satiety that you need. That's gonna keep your blood sugar stable, make it a lot easier to fast, and keep you really at a very high energy throughout the day functioning at a really high level and keeping your inflammation down
1: all right wonderful thanks for sharing that and yeah pretty much it sounds like you're recommended for people to listen to their body especially with the fat consumption so if mm-hmm. they're you know and maybe they need some additional support if they had their gallbladder removed for example and I mean, yeah that goes beyond this conversation but appreciate you sharing that and then you mentioned when someone is let's say Extremely restricting calories. You mentioned how it might negatively affect thyroid or, you know, andor the sex hormones. And as you know, most people listen to this have a thyroid or autoimmune thyroid condition. If someone's doing everything right, if they're not restricting calories and uh, making sure they're eating sufficient protein and healthy fats, are there any concerns with someone who has a thyroid condition or a, an, an autoimmune thyroid condition? Really, they're not. In
0: fact, actually fasting will be one of the best things to help reduce overall inflammation, to help the body get rid of senescent immune cells. So whenever I think about autoimmunity, you know, where the immune cells now are starting to attack our own self-tissue, I think those immune cells are really dysfunctional. They're, they're, so our body's got to constantly recycle cells and it's going to constantly recycle immune cells. However, if we're not good at recycling and getting rid of older, damaged, dysfunctional cells, you know that's a skill that the body has. And as people age, and if they don't tr- create the right environment, they're not going to be able to get rid of these cells. And so therefore, those cells are going to start to produce... And And their function, their, their the things that they're doing are not in alignment with our best health. And so one of the best ways to basically get rid of senescent cells, or aged, that's kind of the term that we use for old age dysfunctional cells, is through fasting. When we fast, we lower our blood sugar and our insulin levels. Insulin comes down. And once insulin gets below a certain threshold, it tells the body, okay, now let's go into healing and repairing. So when insulin's elevated, it's saying, okay, let's build and divide. Let's create more cells. Let's take our cells, have them divide and create more cells. Let's build, let's store, right? And then when insulin goes down below this certain imaginary threshold that's could be you know different for each individual, right, goes under that. And then all of a sudden, the innate intelligence that runs our body says, okay, now is a time to heal and repair. So let's get rid of all the different damaged proteins that we don't need. Let's break those down and let's take the raw materials and let's create new healthy cellular organelles, new healthy mitochondria, new healthy Golgi apparatus, um, new healthy RNA. Let's create new, let's get rid of these, all these old damaged immune cells and let's create new healthy immune cells right? And so now we start to really repair and refresh the body. The problem is that most people are in a constant state where insulin's above the threshold. So they're in this constant state of building and reproducing cells, and they're not getting enough time to clean and repair. And so because of that, we build up all this trash in our system, all these damaged cells, and those damaged cells can release all different types of inflammatory compounds, histamines, antibodies for certain individuals. You know, so based on our genetics, we're going to have our own unique expression, and and that's really where the problem is. But other outside of that, fasting again needs to be a key component for anybody that's trying to to heal from chronic inflammatory or autoimmune conditions, because again, it moves that switch, it moves us back into healing and repairing, and that's the environment creates the environment we need to heal and repair properly
1: all right now thanks for sharing that so a lot of people listening to this have hashimoto's and on top of the autoimmune component they're trying to lose weight so so fasting could have multiple benefits now maybe a little bit of a different story for some people with graves like you mentioned a weight loss so if someone has hyperthyroidism and they're losing a lot of weight maybe they want to do things to improve their health first before incorporating the fasting but you'd be amazed to how many people with hyperthyroidism including graves actually gain weight which you know i know on the surface doesn't make sense you know if someone has that increased metabolism you would think that just about everybody loses weight with grave's disease but that's not the case so if someone is gaining weight and from the standpoint of the autoimmune component again whether it's graves again, as long as they're not losing a lot of weight or Hashimoto's or rheumatoid arthritis, it sounds like if anything, it would be beneficial for that autoimmune process.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. hundred percent going to be really, really helpful. And even somebody that's losing weight, actually taking that period of time between meals. I mean, when I had irritable bowel, I started doing this and I was, I was way underweight and it helped me gain weight. And that's because when insulin goes down, Not only do we heal and repair, so we're able to absorb nutrients more effectively when we do consume food. You know, when somebody is very underweight and they're eating a lot, it's because they're not absorbing the nutrients and they're actually just creating this vicious cycle of inflammation. And that inflammation is not allowing them to actually get what they need from, from the food that they're consuming. And so they need a reset. And that's really what fasting offers. Also, when we fast and insulin goes down below that threshold, Another hormone called human growth hormone becomes elevated in our system. And HGH and insulin are kind of antagonistic, but HGH, one of its main functions is to protect lean body tissue. So HGH helps actually increase circulating leucine levels. Leucine is that branched chain amino acid that tells the body to hold on to muscle tissue, hold on to bone tissue. So when somebody's very catabolic, if you're very underweight, I was very catabolic. I was eating plenty of food, but I couldn't actually gain weight. My body was breaking down its own muscle tissue, its own bone, joint tissue, because again, my, my environment was wrong. So when we create the right environment, now the HGH is elevated saying, okay, protect muscle tissue, protect bone tissue. That's precious tissue. We're, not, we're gonna leave that alone Instead we're just gonna break down fat for fuel while you know this individual is fasting. And so that's really the environment we want. So we need that reset. We also just need to make sure we're when we are eating, within our certain eating window that we're consuming plenty of calories, plenty of quality calories, blood sugar stabilizing calories and providing the nutrients that we need to build new tissue. so good high protein, you know, things like that. So that's key. So really even if somebody is underweight, getting into even if just we're just starting with let's say a 12 hour overnight fast or 14 hour fast um, and then trying to consume three, four meals in that window and trying to make those meals as as easy to absorb as possible, maybe protein shakes, broth, things like that, you know, in the early stages while in a sense you know there those are individuals where their ankles are broken, right? So it's really hard for them to walk. it's hard for them to consume and absorb nutrients from a lot of solid food, right? So we might even need liqu- more liquid nutrition for those individuals as we're healing and repairing that gut lining so they can absorb the proper amount of nutrients from real food.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you you brought that up because it's as far as the duration of the fast too, because yeah, I, I agree with what you said, just about everybody should be going at least 12 hours, but even 14 hours is not too long when you think about it. Like if someone stops eating dinner at six six at night, and then they eat breakfast at 8 a.m., which is fairly early. That's 14 hours right there. So maybe if someone's losing a lot of weight, maybe they don't want to start out with like a 16 or 18 hour fast. But, but yeah, that's definitely 12 to yeah, 14 Yeah, you know, hours I always,
0: whenever somebody's losing a lot of weight, you got to look at their diet, right? A lot of times they're like, well, I'm eating a lot, but they're also, but when I look at what they're actually eating, they're eating a lot of saltine crackers, right? They're eating a lot of foods that are telling their body to be more catabolic right? Are they eating steaks? Are they eating grass fed beef? Are they eating, you know, good quality? Are they getting the protein amount, right? That's one of the big things I want to look at. Are you getting enough protein? Are you getting enough healthy fats? Like what actually are you eating? And we start to make those diet changes and then incorporating the fasting as well. You know, we get their environment switched back into this kind of place of healing and repair and they're able to absorb the nutrients.
1: All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I I want to switch gears and talk about foods that can break it fast. And you kind of mentioned a little bit, like I I had questions with green tea and er, especially like herbal teas, uh, you know, MCT oil, like our, you know, even coffee, like our, our, if -hmm. you have obviously without again, any sweeteners, even the natural sweeteners, if you just have like black coffee, just regular black tea, green tea, the herbal teas, So those are, are are all those safe? Yeah, that's a
0: good question. Somewhat personalized, but the general statement would be that none of those break a fast. Now, the caveat here is that if you consume something, even let's say black coffee and it increases cravings, you know, black coffee is a performance enhancement tool, meaning you should feel great after you drink coffee. For some individuals, they feel more anxious, jittery, they have increased cravings. When they when they consume it their body's having an adverse reaction to it an immune reaction to it for that individual that is going to break their fast it's too, too stressful of an event but for most people that's not the case and so um you know when you start to add in the sweeteners that's when a lot of times more cravings start to develop and if you're having an increase if you're noticing an increase in cravings as you're fasting that's a sign your body's having trouble with blood sugar And burning fat for fuel it's it's having a metabolic flexibility event so normally we're burning glucose in our in our bloodstream um you know we eat a meal we've got extra glucose we've also got glucose tied up in our muscles and our liver and our body starts to metabolize that and break that down after a certain period of time you know i talked about that insulin threshold insulin comes down we start to burn fat for fuel now our brain continues to run off sugar but a lot of our muscle cells and uh various cells in our body are running off of fat as well as glucose and then we get to a point where we really don't have a whole lot of glucose available even to provide the needs for our brain and so then our body will take stored body fat or fat from our diet and will create ketones it brings them, brings the fatty acids to the liver and creates a smaller molecule see fatty acids can't cross the blood-brain barrier they're too large so ketones are a smaller molecule um, that's a, a breakdown product of fatty acid metabolism, and those are able to get up into the brain and be used as an energy source for the neurons. But also, ketones are what we call an epigenetic modulator, and in a sense, they 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 send signals to different different various functions in the body. And one of the signals that they'll send turns off what we call the neuroinflammasome or the inflammasome in general throughout our body is kind of this inflammation amplifying system. So it amplifies the message of inflammation throughout the whole body and ketones can turn that off. They also help to, in our brain, regulate the glutamate to GABA balance. And so we know glutamate is the excitatory neurotransmitter. So it's like the gas, Um, like hitting the gas pedal, so it helps us think sharply and quickly, have great memory. GABA is the brakes, which helps us be more calm, relaxed. And so when we have too much glutamate, which is common when we have neuroinflammation, then we end up with anxious thoughts, right? racing thoughts. We end up with a lot of nerve cell death, which can cause things like depression. And so the ratio there, that glutamate to GABA balance and how ketones will help balance that that's going to help keep us where we're functioning, where we're we're still thinking sharply and quickly, but we're also able to calm our thoughts and we're able to be in a very calm physiological state. And so this is where we normally should be. And, um, you know, when we're fasting, we should have this natural, we should have lower levels of inflammation throughout our body as well as our brain, because again, the ketones shutting down the inflammasome and then this optimal glutamate to GABA balance, so we should be able to really thrive and feel great and be able to perform at a very high level. In fact, you know a lot of people, as they have done, you know extended fasts and things like that, they tend to. A lot of people have talked about greater intuition, greater foresight, uh, spiritual breakthroughs, emotional breakthroughs, and from a f- you know linking that back to a f- what's happening physiologically that could contribute to that, it's going to be the lower levels of inflammation. The better metabolic flexibility in the neurons, the 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 optimal glutamate to GABA ratios that are going to allow that individual to be able to have you know almost like an enlightened state, and so some great benefits there. And and you know we can get a lot of those benefits while we're intermittent fasting. You know, for example, I haven't eaten anything since six o'clock last night, and um, I feel great as I'm doing this interview. I feel very mentally clear, mentally sharp, not hungry, and that's because ketones are elevated in my in my bloodstream and and so my neurons are able to run off of those they're also utilizing glucose for energy to help me think sharply and quickly so i have that metabolic flexibility where i'm burning both fatty acids ketones and glucose as an energy source and that's a really sweet spot when we're good at burning all three of those energy those fuel sources
1: all right just to let everybody know it's close to noon uh noon our time yeah so it's been close to 18 hours. Uh, yeah. You said six o'clock last night and you said you're still feeling good, not dying to have something to eat. And, and even though like a 16 hour fast is sufficient to help with that glutamine um, GABA ratio?
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, really the key there is it's gonna be different for each individual. So it depends on your insulin sensitivity. So the the better your baseline level of insulin sensitivity then the less, in a sense, you need to fast to get those benefits. So for example, if I eat a meal, and let's say this meal is not very blood sugar stabilizing, it's gonna throw off my blood sugar, and let's say my insulin goes way up, and it takes 12 hours, 14 hours to to come down, then I'm gonna get less of the, the ketone production before I break my fast at 16 hours. Does that make sense? As opposed to if I eat a meal much more blood sugar stabilizing. And my insulin comes down, let's say six, six, seven hours after that meal. It's Now my body's already burning fat. It's already producing ketones. Now I've got a lot more time to get the ketones elevated in my bloodstream before I end up breaking that fast again.
1: All right. That makes sense. Thanks for explaining that, Dr. David. All right. I know we have to wrap things up. So I just want to make sure though, is there anything else that that you like to discuss anything I should have asked you that I didn't ask you.
0: No, it's been a great interview. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about autophagy, this process where the body actually will break down old damaged cellular organelles and take the raw materials and form new, healthy cellular organelles. The most well-known are called mitochondria and, and the process is called mitophagy where we're actually, again, breaking down the old damaged mitochondria and then forming new healthy mitochondria, this is critical for you know, the, the overall functional well-being of every cell in our body. Ultimately, at the end of the day, our quality of life is gonna come down to the amount of high-functioning, stress-resilient mitochondria within the cells of our body. And so for most individuals out there, because they're not cycling through feeding and fasting, they're not providing the environment For healthy mitochondria. And instead, they're providing an environment where they have a whole bunch of senescent, old, damaged, and dysfunctional mitochondria within the cells of their body. And so their overall cellular energetics go down, their overall inflammatory load goes up, their oxidative stress load goes up, and their resilience in life goes down. And we want to have that great resilience. We want to have our mitochondria primed for stress as well as possible prime means that they're ready. They're prepared for any sort of stressor because stress comes in life. And um, by making sure that we're getting rid of that our body has time throughout the week to get rid of all of the older damaged mitochondria. Mitochondria are constantly being damaged and rusted just from from, uh, metabolism, right? From producing energy, from all the different stresses that we experience. We just have to get rid of those and build new, healthy, stress-resilient mitochondria. More of those stress-resilient mitochondria, the better we're going to adapt to the stressors we face throughout our life, and the better we're going to be able to function and perform. And so, and that's also going to create a healthy body that's primed for longevity as well, so we're ready to live 80, 90, 100 years disease-free.
1: All right, wonderful. Yeah, when we think about mitochondria, you know, obviously what you eat is important, just basic eating well, stress management, uh, you know, getting sufficient sleep. But yeah, the fasting component of it is just fascinating. So again, thanks for sharing that. And for those who want even more, you know, information, again, we covered a lot. Mm -hmm. Dr. David just um, shared a lot of great information. Um, But the good news is he has an upcoming fasting and longevity summit. So if you could take a minute or so and just talk a little bit about that
0: yeah so the fasting and longevity summit we interviewed myself and uh, dr joseph antoine who is a phd researcher and and so we interviewed a wide range of different natural health experts and you know got got their best strategies when it comes to having success with intermittent or or uh, partial or extended fasting as well as everything to do with longevity hyperbaric oxygen obviously Good nutrition, stem cells, right? All these types of strategies, biohacking strategies, and things that people can be doing to help support their overall health as they age. So, not only really going to learn about, you know, basically how to prevent or reverse chronic disease, but really how to stay disease free and age with those great stress resilient mitochondria, like I was talking about, so you can thrive into your 80s and 90s.
1: So that's awesome. So I mean obviously there'll be a lot of talk about fasting, but it sounds like it goes well beyond that. Just not fasting, yeah. but just other components that help with longevity. So awesome. Um I'll make sure to include the link to the summit in the show notes and again besides the the summit, check out Dr. Jocker's website, drjockers.com, and then um your podcast as well, the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition podcast. Um anything else i don't know if you want to direct them towards social media at all or just your i mean site. i'm on
0: youtube uh instagram right all those different channels as
1: well so if they want want to look me up dr david jockers wonderful again i'll include all the links in the show notes and again dr david appreciate your time uh, i'm sure those listeners learned a lot about fasting and you know i learned some some things as well
0: Great. Wonderful. Well, always uh, you know, enjoy my time here with you, Dr. Eric, and appreciate all the great work you're doing. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on, or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life. You know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.